times that it's hotter here than they've been accustomed to themselves in Yugoslavia. It's Banya 82, day five. It's the final round of games where the teams are making their debut. Three more games. My God, they were coming thick and fast. How are you, Kieran? Gracias, Rob. We're going to see Kuwait in the World Cup, and that in and of itself is a moment in time that can only be experienced once as of the time we record this. Anyways, Mick Foley, how are you? I'm very good, Rob. I'm very good. Enjoying it to the hilt. Hmm, Interesting. Yeah, and it's, like, it's not like the goals galore today. That's why we have Colin Sheridan on the phone. Colin Sheridan, how are you? Rob, great. My bank account full of Kuwaiti money. Um, and I, <laughs> I'm willing to spread their propaganda far and wide. So I'm ready. <laughs> I, I was the original taker of the soup and I'm I'm ready. This is it. It's big. What flavor soup was that? Yeah. You know, meze soup. Is that a thing? <laughs> The expertise on this show, I'm not sure where it is, but we will find it. We're five episodes in. We're still looking for it. It's there somewhere. Well, one thing we are experts on is not too many other people on this face of, on the face of the planet have rewatched as many games from the 1982 World Cup as we have already. And we're not even, I don't know, Mick, we're, are we a quarter of the way through? I'm trying to do my maths here and I'm slow. No, we're not. We have one more day to go for a quarter. Oh, Lordy. No, 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 no. Like, I mean, it's just only, it's only the end of day one, as you said. Like, this, one, yeah. we're only getting going. First time you see the Kuwaitis. But I'd say I'd say now we're on fairly safe ground to say mm-hmm. that we're possibly the first people since the game ended that have rewatched Kuwait versus Czechoslovakia outside of the participants. And even then, video machines were fairly thin on the ground at the time, so it's, there's no guarantee that the Czechs and the Kuwaitis watched this match back either. So, you know, I'm not sure is that a feather in our cap or is that something we need to go to talk to someone about? I'm not sure. But. I can guarantee it. The Kuwaiti players could afford a VHS player at this time. <laughs> I, I'd say they could have afforded broadcast standard beta camera recorders because these boys, while they were amateurs, mm-hmm. nominally, they earned some dough qualifying. Um, I found an, an article where an interview with the captain in shoot from March of 82. And the questioning from shoot is when British fans think of Kuwait, they think of money rather than football. Okay. Are the Kuwaiti players really as well off as we've heard? So the captain's response is our government is very generous with bonuses when we do well in major competitions. When we won the Gulf Cup in 76, each player received £20,000. For reaching Spain, our bonus was the equivalent of £70,000, a plot of land, a new Mercedes plus some cash. Um, and then, then he goes on, you're not full-time professionals, though. No, although I play for the Kuwait Sporting Club, my job is with the Ministry of Defence. That sounds very Eastern Bloc. I'm in the army team. <laughs> Which, yeah. Yeah, I, I've said that. this I've said this multiple times already, Mick, but like, it seems like every team in this World Cup were away on camps and on like months off. Like, I mean, it was international football was king. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, absolutely. And when you could afford to do it, these boys were doing it. Am I right? I like it's certainly said in the papers at the time anyway that they were on two hundred thousand dollars a man to make the second phase of Kuwaitis. Two hundred thousand dollars a man, and they had done the obligatory training camp. Like they'd gone to Portugal, where they played a series of club sides in preparation. And how did they get on? I have all of that, Mick. I have all of that info to, oh. to hand here about their Excellent. warm-ups. All right, well, let's start. Let's just start. We've started. Chile versus Austria to come. That was also on the same time. Northern Ireland debut in this competition to follow from there but first up well we set it up let's get stuck into it Czechoslovakia won 
This is a, another shock. Here on another shock. 1-1. One, one. Uh, should have been a bigger shock because mm. this is a grave injustice against the Kuwaiti team. They played all the football. And had they had better strikers, they'd have won this 3-4-0. Um, you know, and, and this is not a bad Czechoslovakian team. There's the remnants of the team that won the 76 European Championship. This team had finished third at the 1980 European Championship. And mm-hmm. they get played off the park by Kuwait. And were it not for what I would regard as a very dubious penalty, um, Czechoslovakia no wouldn't be getting any points here. Even though I was delighted to see um, an old Celtic favourite, Dr. Joe, on the sideline for Czechoslovakia. Yes, Joe Benglas. Apparently, who had a big argument with Carlos Alberto Pereira before the game about training facilities or something else from Martin Tyler informed us. It's one of those rare, rare rewatches, Colin, from our perspective, where we actually got some English commentary. And sure, listen, it just saves you all that kind of Wikipedia and all the notes for sure. Martin Tyler just gave us all we needed. It does, but as Kieran touched on there, there was many uh, touch points in this game that, like, mm. although it was 1982 and it was before most of our times, Rob, there was between Carlos Alberto Pereira and Josef Engloss, there was immediate kind of familiar names that became, you know, more relevant to us in our kind of maybe teenage years following football, etc. Um, but this genuinely, uh, at a kind of surface level glance of performances by teams from that region, has to go down as the greatest as regards what I think of you think of your Kuwaitis, you think of your Middle Eastern teams or your Near Eastern teams from that region. Uh, it was an incredible performance against what was a highly rated Czechoslovakia team, as Kieran pointed out. Uh, they should have won this game. They were done out of it. Um, I I often think you include me in this podcast as kind of the... So you have your... And I say this with the greatest respect. You have your nerds. You know, you have your Mick Foley's and you have your Kieran's. Then you have your glamour with Billy. You know, Billy Joe is your glamour guy. Right. And then really, because he just watches more Brazil than us. That's just Yeah, wild. well, that and the kind of hair, you know? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, then he has got good hair. He's he got good hair. hair. He's lustrous. He's not, he's lustrous. Lustrous. Yes. And then well, I'm even kind it's of good, the, he's got some. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Exactly. Well, any hair is good hair in this podcast. Yeah, colour as well. That's, that's good. Yeah, but he does look well though. He, lo- but he looks I, after. I, you can tell he looks sorry. after. Sorry. For a second there, I thought we were digressing, but no, keep going. Sorry, so no, it's, no, no, it's, no it's the way I think sorry, Carol. No, no, but conditioning then, but then, or something. Uh, I, 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 I yeah. kind of feel like I'm the guy that when you show the sixth sense, the movie The Sixth Sense, and they put somebody in the cinema who has no idea what's what the ruse is in the movie. Like I'm that guy. That's the guy they make the movie for. And this is the guy you make the podcast for. Because when I saw that I was watching Kuwait v. Czechoslovakia, I was like, okay, I'm getting a 7-1 here. Or like a <laughs> you know, a, a 6-2 or a 4-0 or something. And of course, I first, you know, w- before I clicked on the link to watch the game, I immediately went Kuwait versus, okay, Czech Republic came up. I didn't notice the whatever. And yeah, I was looking at a 7-1. I'm like, yeah, this makes sense. 
And then I'm like, yeah, it looks a bit kind of moderate. And then I realized I was watching a very recent game. Then I realized I had to go further <laughs> back. A year ago. Yeah, a year ago. <laughs> that was the 2006 game, yeah. The Czech bear, Republic should have been the giveaway. It's been hard. Bear with me. Bear with me. Um, yeah, so ultimately what I'm saying is I know I'm the I'm the, the fool in all of this. But, you know, this, this genuinely was a golden era of Kuwaiti football. They won the Asian, the Asian Cup in, in 1980 as hosts. Yeah. Uh, they qualified, you know, you know, they, they kind of went through qualifying very easily or whatever. So they actually came into this World Cup in pretty good shape. But again, I mean, the World Cup being what it was back then, there would have been very little crossover of teams or playing each other in the in-between seasons between World Cups. So there was an awful lot of ignor- ignorance between teams. Surely that's what caught Czechoslovakia out a little bit here. But this was... Um, Notwithstanding all of the money that was spoken about, you know, the $200,000 uh, a man to make the second phase, et cetera, et cetera. I think Mick has got some brilliant stuff about a camel mascot. Um, but no, this was an incredible performance. And this isn't like, you know, the fact that they were clinging on. They should have won this game. And it, it completely got me by surprise. So I'm all they, in. I'm they, quit. They'd qualified really well out of Asia. I mean... There was there was two phases. There was a preliminary phase and a playoff phase. And in the preliminary phase, they topped a group that contained South Korea, Malaysia, and Thailand. Those are all countries with massive populations. And South Korea, as we know, is a powerhouse in Asian football. And in the next phase, they've topped a group that included them, China, New Zealand, and Saudi Arabia. There should have been warning signs there. They've invested heavily in football. They've got lots of foreign coaches. I mean... Jeff Hurst is one of Ron Greenwood's England assistants for this World Cup. But immediately afterwards, he's moving to Kuwait to coach there. So they've, they've, they've taken football as their national sport, effectively. Yeah, and I mean, Carlos Alberto Pereira appointing him as manager is a bit of a statement as well. Um, now, it's his first World Cup. He's going to go on to hold the record, as he does for the most World Cup appearances as manager, which is six. Um, but he was also involved with Brazil in 1970. So he's coming with pedigree already. And he seems to tap into something because he just tells them, go for it. That seems to be the message. Just go for it. Um, and is it like, I mean, as Colin mentioned, won the Asian Cup. They won a pile of golf cups between 1970 and 82. They were fifth at the 1980 Olympic Games, lads. And the Olympics seem to matter. In football terms in this era, girls, now we don't give a flying fazoo, but like back then it seems to have been something of a farm line. Uh, like Poland did very well in 72 and that led on to a golden age for them. So it's, it does seem it does seem to matter. Just to go back to a, a point earlier on that, that, that Colin made, um, you know, when Colin was describing himself there as a fool, Colin, I would definitely take to heart that no one stepped in there to actually correct you on that. That uh, you I'm know, st- no, I, 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 you know, just you, take that. Just keep, yeah. keep, keep, keep that in mind. Personally, yeah, but- I see you more as the Greek chorus, really, Colin. More of a kind of a, a Statler and Waldorf kind of, a, maybe a Staldorf, kind of a Staldorf type of <laughs> sort I'm of gonna... character. You're, 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 si- you're yeah. sitting back looking at this and going, "What the hell?" And mm-hmm. I think we need that. Yeah, no, I think we need that. Uh, there's a hope for me that I'm more the Kevin Spacey and the usual suspects type. You know, I'm going to walk, my limp will disappear as I eventually stroll up the street. <laughs> but again, sorry I noted, now. Nick, that. Sorry, no, yeah, sorry, there was, no. There was no, no interruption. Yeah. There, <laughs> sorry, no. There's no one walking away from this podcast not limping, let me tell you that much. True, true. 
I, I think Colin is like the investor. Like we've all invested in this, believing it's like it's like if it was on Wall Street, you know, that there's some real hope in this. Whereas Colin's one of those investors that just forgets to get out and never has, and now is just sitting around he hoping this might he turn. Knows. It might turn. Well, you know, there's always a guy here, especially in Galway, who apparently invested in crypto unwittingly like ten years ago, and now he forgot about it. And it's, not, it's well, not anymore. Now it's worth you nothing. Know, four four months ago, it was worth like nineteen million. <laughs> Now it's worth nothing. That's kind of like hey, Colin. Did you know something about their pre? Like I've heard good things about how all this came together before the World Cup, where they started taking on club teams and were like they were doing well. They did well in their Portugal training camp. They, I was completely joking about that, Rob. Um, <laughs> or were you taking piss? I mean, not quite taking the piss. Here on, but save us yeah. here. Look, they've got no fear. Um, they've got a Zico. <laughs> They, do. I found this in shoot as well. They've got Kuwait Zico, who uh, works for Kuwait Airways, and it's Faisal Al Dakil, who I think yes. is he scores yeah. a magnificent goal in this game. He and he says, when the draw is made, this was a very good draw for us. Mm. We are convinced we can do very well indeed. Czechoslovakia could only draw with us in the last Olympics. There you go. Next, they place yeah. they place a store in it. Mm-hmm. And we can beat England. Yeah. That's they're fight total, talk. Like they're coming in. Yeah. Th- this is a boxer that's convinced I'm going into the ring and I'll I'll be standing in the center. Well, I guess I guess if lads are firing money at you, I know it's maybe it's you know, everybody's doing well in Kuwait in nineteen eighty two, but like if lads are firing money at you and you're you're on a bit of a roll um in terms of qualifying and you're you know, you why wouldn't you? Like, why not? Like, I mean, you know, you know things are going well for them. They've got Carlos Alberto Pereira at their, uh, you know, with them. They're they're investing money left, right, and center. Mario Zagallo. Yeah, Zagallo coach there, and that's how that's how they were introduced to Pereira. Like he's been, he was uh, Zagallo's assistant, so they've got continuity there as well. As Mick said, they've been building over a number of years. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's hard to imagine, now because I mean, look, it's like forty years gone, but I mean, the Kuwaitis haven't really impacted on world football in the way other teams. In the from from Asia have or from the Asian group have so it's kind of hard. Do you want to stat here just to oh, back yeah, that go, up? Do, go, you, go. do you know how many managers they have had since the nineteen eighty two World Cup? Do you want to take a stab at? I'll give I you go, give you a kind of a just to judge it. England have had I think eleven. Our own Republic of Ireland have had eight. How many have Kuwait? Okay, had? I'm going to say about two hundred and seventeen. Well, you know, down a bit. Kind of, well, pretty much. I think actually that's the answer. I've decided it's 37, but it is 217. That's where I'm going to be on a Wikipedia page for citation. Wow. 37 in 40 years, are we saying? In 40. Wow. That's a lot of charm. That's a lot of charm. charm. But think about it even though from the dichotomy of like who they were playing like. So you have the Kuwaitis and you have this like very early age money movement in football. And then you have obviously Czechoslovakia who are at a very different stage as a nation and as a footballing nation and even the Dr. Josef Wenglas and that, you know, you have the whole Soviet, you know, not even hangover of at this stage, but shadow over them. And then you have this Kuwaiti project clearly as it was and, a, you know, a kind of a, it foreshadowed so much of what we've actually come to understand football to be. But like, even at that stage, you'd be talking about that investment in football mm-hmm. and money per man, et cetera, et cetera. 
like we're talking 1982 like there was like in all our research in all our exhaustive research of this tournament years phd i'm wrecked wrecked already we're all doctors dr Dr. mick foley you were the joseph fengelos of this (laughs) tournament (laughs) but seriously though to think of where we are to, to think of what we're thinking about when we think of czechoslovakia then and Kuwait, like that project, seriously, when you think of what we came to know in like subsequent tournaments and even now, like looking, staring down the barrel, literally, pardon the very unfortunate pun of what we're looking into this December, like 40 years ago, this is what Kuwait was trying to do with football and the money they were yeah. throwing at this. And also, where did it bring them um, ultimately? But, you know, even Pereira being there and doing what he was trying to do with them. And, and to be fair, they've never arguably being as close to achieving what they wanted to achieve and then they did with this team based now i must say on the very small sample size because i like to think I keep everything current and i don't look ahead to, to know how they got on against england etc and france um but yeah here we are they're playing czechoslovakia very mm-hmm. you know strong european side and they outplay them and like we've already said should have won the game i mean the penalty i think we'll get to that uh, rob but very dubious penalty for Czechoslovakia in the 21st minute. Um, Kuwait were already on top in the game as far as I saw it. Um, and we're very worthy of their equalizer in the second half. So, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's remarkable to me to look back and see that they were not, they were clearly an emerging football nation that were throwing money at something, which is obviously what we see now 40 years later, but they were probably further along then than they arguably, or many of those, their neighbouring nations are now. Colin just joined, joined all the dots there. This was the beginning of a Middle Eastern football arms race. Like, only a couple of years beforehand, we've had someone resign as England manager in order to go and work in the Gulf. We've now got Kuwait in the World Cup. And as you watch it develop over the next 40 years, which is what we're talking, it leads to its inevitable conclusion, which is one of those Gulf states has brought so much money to bear in football that they're hosting a World Cup, the smallest mm. nation ever to host one. Yeah. yeah. Well done, boys. Now, that's the end of that show. Let's move on. Yeah. You're not going to top that. You're not going to top that. No, lads, you're not going to top that because that's exactly it. That is exactly it. You draw the line from 82 to 2022, and that's it. it it's, it's, and as you mentioned, and you can go further back to Don Revy going, going, going to, uh, going to the golf as well. It's amazing. Just to slightly tweak the conversation slightly, I have to say, right? Like, this is not a day of of star teams. Re- like, I mean, there are Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia are there, but like real star teams. Like, but the games are good, aren't they? Like, I mean, I know we talk about Northern Ireland, Yugoslavia, and what Chile, Austria is a bloody good game. Like, the, these strike me. This this is why this eighty two World Cup is so good because like yeah. these are kind of you know you can't have a World Cup full of Brazil, Italy's and so on and so forth. It just doesn't happen, right? So these these are the matches that I call like World Cup ballast. You know, you need, you need, these are the games that make a World Cup really good. So like yeah. Kuwait, Czechoslovakia is totally compelling, like, and yeah. Chile, Austria becomes compelling as well as the game goes along. But um, it's good old fun, isn't it? These matches, it, like, they this are good. good. This, was, this was actually quality football and most of it played by Kuwait. And yeah. It it even threw in that there's a penalty and up steps Antonin Panenka to take it. So and, you've described and it. And you so want him. You so want him. But like, 
you know, the video's gonna the, the goalkeeper will have done his video analysis on that beat a cam player. <laughs> he's got he's not gonna move off the middle, is he? He ain't going nowhere. But he still rolls it in in a way that was distinctive. Do you know, it's it's like it, it was it was it was not get your normal post, penalty yeah. either. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was post. really, but it was really confidently and just oh, lovely pace to it. Mm, nice. It's like it's like one of those snooker shots where you just like slow it down, just let it roll in. I like it. I liked it. Uh, yeah, he's got style overall, though. As well as that, Karen, you mentioned it. He was the one player that was kind of like the beat to them. Something was happening on his feet. Well, he he's unfortunate in that you know he's become a description now. Yeah. And what I he's found refreshing was it was the first time I've watched mm. a whole game involving him. Mm. And boy, he could play. He got game. And yet, the team that were playing most of the attacking football, Colin, were Kuwait with some spectacular attacking play at times. My God, sweeping forward. Uh, and and think, about, think about it, guys. Like, how many times for us as a country that has, you know, gone to a couple of World Cups and not as many, obviously, European championships as we'd like. And we still look back to, we'll say, Ronnie Whelan's goal in 1988. Like this goal from Kuwait, from uh, Al Dakil in the 58th minute. Like if you ignorantly just looked at the footage and saw the blue jersey, you, you would genuinely assume it was a goal by, you know, Zico. Yeah. Seriously. And, yeah, and absolutely. He, he was being flagged in advance as Kuwait Zico. But I mean, yeah, Kuwait Zico. Yeah, absolutely. In fairness, but, I mean, though, the keeper makes an absolute hems of it because as great a strike as it is, it's straight at him. Yeah. And, you know, when you initially look at the footage and the footage is 40 years old, you're kind of looking again and you're trying to see where did this go into the goal? You know, and it is straight at him. And middle, yeah, but it swerves it, in the air, totally. It, it, it does swerve, but it's like, it, it's even the build up and the push away from the body and it's nearly mm. the confidence with which he hits it. And I know we're, you know, clearly stretching a little bit, but I, I suppose I'm trying to say this is not a goal commensurate with a poor football nation who's like pluckily trying to you know, keep up with Czechoslovakia. This is a goal with a guy who has the confidence to shoot from like 28 or 30 yards out and um, bang it into the top corner. Okay, clearly didn't go into the top corner on third and fourth watchings, but it it, it just kind of sits with how they played and that's where he the shot level. from is ambitious. Yeah, it, absolutely. It's where but he it, shot it, from and, they, and they've tried yeah. a few from that distance. Now, you, you may find this amusing. Adidas had an advertising campaign at the time for the Tango Football. And the slogan was goalkeepers beware because mm-hmm. they were predicting that they, you know, you would be able to see movement in the ball that you hadn't heard before. So I suppose we can give the goalkeeper yeah. some a little bit of, a little bit of leeway. Yeah. Great. Goal. I was impressed with the Kuwaiti goalie, actually, uh, Tarabulsi. He was a pretty lively character. Apparently, according to the commentator, they say the Kuwaiti journalists were spe- skeptical about his age being given at 35. They thought he was in his 40s, born in Lebanon, brought over. He was good. I was also impressed with the fact that Kuwait finished the game on the front foot, Kieran. This is not just a story of getting level. I mean, they had chances that they did, the best chances at the end. No, and with the benefit of hindsight. We now associate Carlos Alberto Pereira with Brazil 94. You know, the kind of scarred remnants of the 82 experiment. Don't ever try that again. Let's let's get a hard man in midfield. Let's be more conservative in our tactics. Circa 82 is straight out of the Brazil playbook. He's just like, go out and do it, lads. Yeah. He probably suffers, you know, down the... He definitely suffers down the track 
as a result of what happens to Brazil in this World Cup, you know, and the sort of uh, just the, re- the I wouldn't even say the reality because uh, you know I I still can't accept that Brazil couldn't have won a World Cup. Don't ruin it for Colin. Like, I know. I know sorry, 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 sorry. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! <laughs> um, but you know, like don't worry, Colin. Pereira just had to win the right. World Cup. They can't possibly lose this. They can't. Bruce Willis is dead. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? Well, you've just ruined that movie for me. I love it. So Brazil, <laughs> Brazil are the football team that are dead all along, even though we're all mesmerised by them. I like it. Yeah, I like where we're going with this. All right, <laughs> let's move on to uh, Chile and Austria, shall we? Oh, oh actually, yeah. though, before no, we, right. you know, you said they were the same time, Rob. Mm. And this this is another one of these anomalies of the 1982 World Cup. There was a half an hour between kickoffs, like. Oh, this World Cup was not designed for television. Number of game, good games that are on at exactly the same time, and the number of like the staggered—it's bewildering. Chile nil, Austria one. We got Canadian television coverage as well, Mick. So uh, Chile versus Austria. It, it reminded me of one of those, like uh, changing sports here, but when like you watch Rugby World Cup games from the 1990s and there's just like terraces and fences and ropes. That's what it felt like. The crowd were just being polite not to come onto the pitch. Yeah. It wasn't that they were being kept from coming on. And, it was, and like the moment tackling yeah, as well. Exactly. The commentary makes this game. Ah, they were very good. Like, does, this, does, if, if you're going to seek this game out, watch watch the Canadian coverage because the soccer marketplace was one that stood out for me. He's worth, <laughs> they say, two million dollars on the soccer marketplace, and I, you know, I just had this idea of oh, what there's like an eBay for players in 1982. <laughs> There was there was one or two uh, fouls on the play as well, but uh, I I enjoyed the boys and yeah. I you know the CBC wasn't it CBC Sports CBC Sports CBC yeah a and actually the, the co commentator is a brilliant analyst Green can you remember his name yeah he's, he's, he's like he's yeah. kind of he's he's you know he's got a very strong Scottish accent but it's kind of got because he's obviously been there a while now he's got these Torontoisms in the way it's he softened. says certain words yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah he played in the 58 World Cup for Scotland so he had a little bit of something going on and obviously he must have gotten involved in football order it was very enjoyable watching them I actually went down a little wormhole of CBC Sports soccer mm-hmm. and Go found there. that their analyst back home was none other than Sir Stanley Matthews no. imagine nice there he was. And he was dressed. Do you know the way in American sports casting, they all wear the same gear? So these guys are all dressed in like kind of, how would you sports even, jackets. It's not yellow. Yeah, mustard yellow jackets um, that should really be hanging off a curtain rail. And so Stanley is in it along with the anchor guy back in, back in Toronto. And uh, it's just, it's lovely yeah, because they're just saying, they're just saying Stanley's, nice things to each other. Stanley in that clip does look like a, a Jerry Anderson puppet. <laughs> In his mannerisms <laughs> and in the way he replies to questions. Stanley, Stanley Matthews is go. <laughs> it's probably worth sharing. We'll share that footage on our social media. Oh, and yeah, and I, really I don't mean to deride Sir Stanley Matthews at all. Oh, what a man. What a man. What a man. I just what like the man. way they just say nice thing. Stanley, such a wonderful uh, honor to have you here. And Stanley's like, it's a wonderful opportunity to be here with you too. Can I just say you're a wonderful professional? And it's just... <laughs> I just uh, <laughs> Why, why was that never said? Why, why? I've ever heard. <laughs> I know, yeah. He sounds nothing like that. That's why you go watch the clip. This is a bloody good game, though. This is a very enjoyable game once it gets going. 
Yeah, Mick, so let's start. Let me start you off for 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 this one with with uh, one thing. Like I said, was he said the Chileans Chileans are playing the the better football. They're they're that little bit more accomplished in what they're trying to do. And I I was like, oh cool. I'm glad he observed that because the skills pretty impressive. They're a good side, Chile. They finished. They, they were runners up in the previous Copa America. This is a yeah. decent Chile side. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. like I mean, they would have been expected to win this game. And I mean, you know, it's such. You know, you know the way they say, like you know, in 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 the World Cup, like just don't lose your first match. You know, mm. just avoid defeat and take it from there. Take on whatever comes next. So, I mean, but like, they would have been favourites going into this, but they they lose, and they shouldn't have lost. They should have at least drawn this game. They it was an interesting game though, from the point of view of how it unfolds, because before the game, for some reason, even though they're favourites, they decide to sort of. You know, throw a bit of petrol on the water and drop a match. They they accuse the Austrians of being cynics, foulers, cheats, um, and they didn't really need to do that. But the result is like they clearly believed it because both of them just absolutely hack into each other for the first. I would say maybe what 10, 15 minutes before it all settles down. I mean, and the, the surface is wet. It's it's rained. It's an Oviedo, and the surface is wet. The pitch is going to be heavy later in the game, and they're just just clattering into each other. And, you know, when you're sitting down to watch it and you, you know it's a 1-0, you're kind of going, oh, Christ, this is just going to be belt, bang, bash, pass back, belt, bang, bash, pass back. But luckily, it opens up really well and the conditions actually play into it by the end because, you know, it, the Austrians score a lovely goal and then the Chileans are just coming after them in the second half and it's just, they're, everybody, they're hanging on. The Chileans are even hanging on in terms of energy and stuff. And it just becomes this absolute. I found a really, a really enjoyable, compelling match to watch. And and like they are confident. They, their captain Elias Figueroa, he's played at two previous World Cups. Like he, he's made his debut for Chile as a seventeen-year-old. I read an interview with him where he talked about how many. They asked him how many caps has he got for Chile, and he said, "Well, if if as is European custom, we'd actually kept the count." You know, it's like <laughs> we're so casual in South America, we don't keep note of our count, of our caps. But he's adamant they'll be the surprise packet at that World Cup. And I think if they had gotten a result here, I think the whole thing could have opened up for them because they have some. Like Figueroa was on the seventy-four team of the tournament in the World Cup. Like he's a very, very good player, and he played well against Austria. In time to come, he will consider running for FIFA president. Elias Figueroa. He will. In 2011, he, he considered a run against Blatter. It, they're actually a very interesting team. Looking back now, you know, from, from, from 40 years later, the Chilean team is full of interesting people. You mentioned the Kuwaiti Zico earlier. Well, they had the Chilean Maradona, Yanez, who, again, gets beaten around the place as skillful players you know that's what as happened was, as was want in, in those days yeah, yeah it was like he still could, gets past and starts playing some football he still gets through once again once the initial barrage subsides and he can find some space he does a lot of damage he, he's mm. a very good player apparently he was checked for a heart issue before the tournament no problem he went along there was also I didn't quite get the name and I'm going to check it for the next day but one of the players recorded a pop single yeah I uh, missed that as well I heard that in the and I'm going to go back for the next chilly game yeah we will find that uh, out for the fans is the name of it. But beyond that, you have a guy, Eduardo Bonvalle, who played for them. Um, he went on to become a really acerbic TV pundit in Chile. 
Like really, he was so acerbic that he was actually famous for inventing his own swear words and insults on TV. Like that was how severe this oh lad God, was. I'm looking at a picture on this Wikipedia page. He is a scary man. Scary He's man. severe. He's severe. Like uh, tough dude. Tough, tough dude. Uh, not with us anymore, sadly. But he was some something else. Um, and we can talk about Carlos uh, Caselli at some stage. Unfortunately, in this game, he's involved. In, the World Cups don't suit Caselli. He's he's Clearly a good player from what we see here, but he he's the very first player in 1974. He becomes the very, very first player to be actually issued with a red card in a match. So he's sent off for Chile in the 74 World Cup. And in this one, at he a, misses a penalty. Uh, it's a, yeah, he misses a penalty. I was going to say at a key moment, but sure. Well, he might well be the unluckiest player in World Cup history and the squad number they give him is 13. <laughs> Jesus. Like, don't let that guy take the penalty if he's wearing 13 yeah. and you're in any ways, you know. This is eight years into Pinochet's Chile. Like, what does that mean? I, I think he was gone 10 years later. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, it, I'm, I'm genuinely asking for my own, like, where is that country at? Is it a period of calm relatively or is it a... Yeah, like in terms of, well, again, if we look at through, I mean, it's, it's a dictatorship. We are coming towards the end. It's a couple of more years, about six years. So this is 82. So 1988, uh, post 1988, they're going to have a referendum. Um, and Pinochet will be surprisingly peacefully removed, actually. They have a referendum saying, do you want Augusto Pinochet, your not very benevolent dictator, to stay or go? And they go, we want him to go. And he goes. But um, he's been in power since 1973. So, I mean, this is, what are we, year nine. It's interesting. We've had this. This is the worst year of the regime in terms of where yeah. they are economically. Like there's rampant inflation. Um, you know, the IMF are trying to intervene in the country. Like this is, in terms of the deprivation that the public are suffering, this is, this is the the lowest point. I mean, as you say, it's relatively peacefully they get rid of him, but he goes out basically with an immunity. Like he's yes. going to be a yeah. senator for life. That's the deal yeah. he strikes. And yeah. then he uses that senatorial um, immunity until such point as someone is willing to challenge it. And that's in the 2000s. Yeah. And let me, this is probably a good point to bring in more about Kazeli in terms of the regime, because yeah. obviously given the nature of of, of Pinochet's reign, uh, it didn't um, it didn't benefit anybody to stand against him. But Caselli was one of those who did. Yeah. Um, and he was a very high profile footballer. He played for Colo Colo in Chile. He had a spell at Espanol in the mid seventies. We went back to Colo Colo again in the late seventies. He actually played for Catalonia at one stage when he was in when he was in. Uh, Nice can some Cruyff. Espanol. That must have been some Catalonia team. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. But he. Famously in 1974, so they qualified for the World Cup in 74, and they were all, of course, introduced to Pinochet. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they be introduced to him? Um, but he he refused to shake his hand when the team was was presented to Pinochet. So that was the first sort of um, sign that that Caselli was 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 of a left leaning persuasion, uh, much closer to Allende, who had been ousted by Pinochet previously. Um, Eleven years later, they met again at some event or other in 1985. And it just happened that Caselli was wearing a red tie and Pinochet made some remarks to the, to, to the effect of, that's, that's too communist looking for me, he said. And he made a kind of a gesture with his fingers as though he was going to cut it off with the scissors. And uh, Caselli said, well, you can cut it, but my heart will forever be red. 
Now, without wanting to kind of, you know, lighten the mood too much, I would say as as dictators go, that's bants, right? I think <laughs> that Pinochet is actually trying to have a bit of fun there. And I'm saying Cazelli maybe overreacts a little bit. But look, given what's gone on for the previous 12 years, who can blame him? Um, the other thing that's worth saying is when it comes to referendum time, um, television plays a huge role in deciding that referendum and getting the message across to people that it's okay to vote no, to vote against Pinochet. And one of the one of the um, broadcasts, one of the I suppose party political broadcast, it wasn't party political broadcast, but it was a a no broadcast um, involved this woman who explained that she was at home one night and the police came, trashed her house, assaulted her. Uh, tortured her and interrogated her and her name was Olga Carrido and the next thing next shot man walks in and it's Caselli and the woman is Caselli's mother and he's now on television in the late 80s endorsing a no vote against Pinochet get rid of the regime Um, so you know again and we've talked about this before already and we're not even out of day one how football gives people a platform and teams a platform to be different from the country they're coming from and gives them the opportunity to show that look no we're not all it gives them the opportunity just to push back a little bit in a relatively safe space maybe not maybe not safe for their families in this case but you know they still have that space and that opportunity to do that quickly on the game first of all colin one of the things that i noticed about watching this in these moments is like when these tackles are flying in, when the passes do get away, the game can be absolutely frenetic in those days. The violence creates these unbelievable breaks of excitement. So it's like, bad tackle, another sliding tackle, but he just gets the pass away and now it's like a four on two and it's electric and Chile kind of kept it alive and Austria, though, just found a way. No, that's it, Rob. It's, it's like impossible. Like when you're looking at the game, you feel like you're watching a highlights package, even though it's the entire game because it's like, as you say, one tackle leads to you know another and it's compl- you're like this is a, an impossible tempo to keep up and sure sure enough there are kind of you know sort of down periods where uh, it settles into more of a lull but uh, certainly the first 20 25 minutes of that game um were pretty epic as regards you know you're trying to guess how many red cards are going to be produced <laughs> and how many guys are going to see the line and um yeah, it was, it was, you know, like it, it's gas with this World Cup to see how different an awful lot of it. Like they don't fit a logical pattern. Some of them are very, you know, whether it's the heat or the teams or the style of play, some of them are pretty low tempo. And then you have a game like this, which is just, and like between two teams, by the way, who are like so different in their approach and so different, I suppose, philosophically, and then you have South American meets the pragmatic sort of mid-Eastern European um, team and yet here we have this sort of clashes of styles and it's just absolutely cracked and it doesn't slow down for quite a long time um, and I have to I agree with what you were saying in that Chile for my money at least looked quite good for long periods of this um, yeah. and should have pushed down a bit more I felt in the game they looked like a team that could do something at the World Cup if they could just avoid defeat Mm. But to be fair to the Austrians, like the, the goal they get from Walter Schachner, which is after 20 minutes, cross from the right, it's a beautiful glancing header. And it's from a bit of a distance out as well. But it just bounces and skids mm. up and into the corner. It's, and it's a terrific goal. He actually has a tremendous game, Schachner. He's playing up front for he, Austria. He's in the form of he his life for, coming into this World Cup, isn't he? He is flying. He is, he is in such form, in fact. 
Like he played for Cesena in Italy at this stage, and Cesena were promoted from Serie A B in 1981. So they're in Serie A coming into this World Cup. But when they were promoted in 81, the Cesena Ultras on the Curva, whatever, they changed their name to the Weisschwarz Brigaden in Schachner's honour, the White and Black Brigade. Because he is just, he's flying for his club, he's flying for Austria, and he, he flies at Chile all day. Even, you know, when Chile do push back and Yanez starts to really do his magic, Shackner is a constant threat. And they, like by the end of it, it's not that you think that Chile deserve to win. It's just like it's, you know, it's a draw. It's, they don't deserve to lose because the Austrians bring an awful lot to this. Well, Collins right. It's that beautiful clash of styles. And the last 10 minutes is just, it's like rope-a-dope because they're, they're, two of them, their legs are gone. Like their legs are gone. It gets scrappy a bit. It gets tough, but there's still chances. The Chilean goalkeeper has a makes some amazing saves, but also drops a load of balls in in the box from anything coming in from the flanks. He's under pressure, and it just you can and you realize that anything is possible. And Colin, I was a bit like you with the Kuwaiti game. I was a bit like this. I thought this was a score draw. I thought it was one all. So up until the last minute, I'm waiting for Chile to score. <laughs> so that, that that was great. That was great to have that. I'm going to do that more often. Not look at the results. Good idea when you're watching matches. But um, right. it, it just it's just one of those. But it was again, it was one of those moments for Chile. I'd say not winning that game must have knocked absolute hell out of them because it was a be- match that they 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 needed to probably needed to win in the heel of the hunt. It has to be said, Austria were good as well. I mean, you know, we're, we're saying Chile probably deserved to win. I don't know. Austria did hit the post. Schachner hit the post near the end as well. He was just causing untold damage. So, you know, in fairness, this is probably their best moment because, you know, there's some bad moments to come yeah. for them. That was the other thing, actually. That that was the other thing that happened as well, actually, in terms of just adding to the drama the last minute. There was a power cut at the stadium. So oh, you're yeah. watching it and suddenly the light goes dimmer and it's like, what's after happening now? And it's a power cut. It was a tiny, it was in Oviedo. It's the smallest ground at the 82 World Cup, the capacity was 23,500. It was not full. Um, another one that was built and literally finished like two hours before they let people in or something and was subsequently torn down in the, in the, uh, and it's, it's an expression we've been using a lot. Uh, the old spinal tap, don't go look for it. It's not there anymore. <laughs> right. We are, oh, we are done on this game. Austria win. They move on to the round two in prime form. I saw some headlines where it was like Austria inflict more playing on West Germany because it was looked upon now as like West Germany were like, oh my God, the mess we're in. Uh, they were bottom of the table, chilly with them. They were playing in the next round. That's the drama. Time to move on. Final game. Yugoslavia, nil. Northern Ireland, nil. Northern Ireland's debut in this World Cup, their second World Cup. What a moment. Could they compete? Could they really add something to the tournament? I think they left the field, and judging by the reports the next day, feeling like they had done that. They had set a tone, they had put themselves on the board, um, and maybe surprised a few people. I don't know. What do you make of it, Colin? Yeah, I think Mick hit upon it a couple of times there and talking about the last game. One is the anticipation of watching a game like this, not knowing the result. 
and to be dragged the entire way through this, not knowing the results and living on a knife's edge, thinking that somebody is going to score, of course, just to obviously help out everyone who's listening, because um, I don't think you preempted it, Rob. Nobody scored in this game. Um, but no. it also ticks the other box, which Mick mentioned, which was like, don't lose your first game. Okay. And well, Yugoslavia, who obviously would have been a very strong side, very well established coming into this tournament, and Northern Ireland, um, you know, like as I look at the Nor- Northern Irish squad and I just base it upon my own, again, surface level knowledge of late 1980s football, uh, early 1990s football, and you realize, you know, who they had and obviously the Norman Whiteside uh, story coming into this World Cup as well. The George Best story, which, you know, we'll probably touch upon just in, in speaking about the build up to this tournament with them. Um, obviously having a, a very established goalkeeper and legend and Pat Jennings in their team. This was a pretty good result for Northern Ireland, I think, all things told. Um, again, if you put it in the context of us, if we were there and if this was us, you'd take that result and run. I, I mean, by we and us, I mean, obviously, if the Republic of Ireland were, had qualified and we had this draw, he would have taken that result and ran. So all things considered, while Yugoslavia, to my mind, had the better of this, better chances, uh, this was a pretty good result for our, our fellow countrymen, Northern Ireland. Um yeah, all things considered. Can't because say enough they were more than under that. siege for the first 20 minutes of this yeah. game. Yeah, I mean, there was a... It was, was terrifying, Bert, I might yeah. say. Terrifying. Yeah, absolutely terrifying. Like, I mean, they, they just... Like, it's interesting. And this will happen, and it's understandable. The Northern Ireland story at the 1982 World Cup inevitably has always been narrowed down to one game. The one, the key one that they win in a couple of games' time. Um. And it is like everything, everything sprouts off of that when you talk about Northern Ireland at the 1982 World Cup. But this is the beauty of doing something like this. You go back and you look at the other matches, right? So like the Yugoslavia game, I would say, I would say, and I'll put the I'll put meat on the bones of this, but just to say it at the top, I would say, I would say that the first half an hour of this Yugoslavia game is possibly the key period of Northern Ireland's entire World Cup because they are battered. They are all over the place. They are getting pulled apart by a team that is technically superior, more confident, and more used to this level of football. They look like New Zealand for 20-odd minutes, and that's not being insulting to New Zealand either. Um, at one point, at one like, there are lots of chances, but at one point a ball goes across the Northern Ireland box, and there are about a half a dozen Northern Ireland players standing in the six-yard box. And none of them know what to do. They're just, one of them might have jumped. And I'm going to say it's probably Chris Nickel, the centre half who was playing for Southampton at the time. But the rest of them were just kind of standing there. And I would say that Billy Bing and the manager just wanted to get him into the, into, into the, into the dressing room and sort them out. Because coming into the, even coming into the tournament, their form was bad. Um, and I'm saying this because I want to get away from the romance of the Northern Ireland story because there's plenty of it. And by the time we end this conversation, we'll be in a better place. But coming into this tournament, their form is bad. Um, Billy Bingham, they go, their preparation, and we were, talk- we were talking earlier about camps and such and such. They go to Brighton for 12 days, right? Brighton. And they're down on the south coast of England. And Bingham says to them, look, they haven't won a match since November 1981 when they qualified for the bloody thing. And he says to them, it's just not acceptable. Like what's happened between from November to now has not been acceptable. And we're picking the team now on the basis of what we're going to see from here on. 
He's laying down the law. Even in the press before the game, he's laying it down. He says, we have just got to win this one to stand any chance of making the second phase. If we lose, we may as well go home. Right? So if he's saying that in public, in that era, that's what he's saying in private as well. He's laying the law down. So in the first 25 minutes, they go out and they get battered. But they don't concede. And that, I think from that moment, from that first half hour, is where Northern Ireland's World Cup starts. But it could have been over after 25 minutes as well. There's there's a, a moment early on, I think, where Sepet Susic, the Yugoslav midfielder, attacking midfielder, I think he played for PSG at the time, and he dances through three or four Northern Irish players. Had he scored, he shot from outside the box. Had he scored, it would have been one of the goals of the tournament. But it's one of those <laughs> weird ones where... <laughs> The attempts at tackling even by the Northern Irish players, you know, fit neatly into what Mick is saying there, where they just look completely desperate, as in like out of their depth. Totally out of their depth. Um, Had he scored, it would have been an absolutely fantastic goal. But even the way he kind of turns around and runs back to the centre circle is like, well, okay, there's going to be more of this. Um, Yeah, that's it. There's going to be more. It's going to work out. Now, they do find their feet and they do kind of, you know, they, they manage to have their own chances as the game game goes on. But it certainly, it was, they look like a team completely out of their depth in the first uh, 20, 30 minutes or so. So I think, um, again, just reinforcing what Mick was saying, like to get, a, to get a point out of this game, to get a draw out of this game was an incredible achievement, I think. But even those chances, like, are so much on the counter-attack. If you think there's a chance that Jerry Armstrong creates for himself by running, I would say, 40 yards with the ball, he's having to come from his own defence because they are so focused on defence. Like, they have two banks of players, one in front of their own box and the other in their box. They're just so desperately trying to avoid defeat. Yeah. And, And this is a psychological thing for Northern Ireland over the previous few years because the previous manager had been Danny Blanchflower who wanted them to play with reckless abandon. And as a result, they shipped some horrific defeats to big cup, bigger nations. So by the time Billy Bingham takes them over in 77, I think it is, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, he's, he's determined that it will be built upon solid defense. So Northern Ireland's story in this period is not that they are a plucky team trying to win. It's that they're a team that are hard to defeat. So, you know, their best results typically are in draws. Yeah. And coming into this, I mean, Miljanic, the Yugoslav manager, is absolutely dismissive of Northern Ireland. In advance, he says, I can't see Spain or Yugoslavia, Yugoslavia having too many problems in qualifying from this group. The only thing to decide is who finishes first and who finishes second. Like you look at their records, look at their comparative records. I mean, Yugoslavia topped a group with Italy and Denmark in it, an emerging Denmark and Italy, of course, who who are here. They've won six games out of eight. They've scored 22 goals and they've only conceded seven. Like the North qualify with Scotland. They've, you know, they won three games and they only scored six goals. So, I mean, even coming into it, you're, you know, it all speaks to what you're saying, Karen. like that they're just, they're a very compact unit when it works, when it works. And they're very, they're very, clearly spirit is very good. A lot of stuff that the Republic of Ireland are going to are, are going to replicate in eight years time in 1990 and at other tournaments around that era, like to break down the team a little bit, like, OK, they had four Division One players at the time, but like Pat Jennings had been struggling for months with injury. There was a doubt he would even play against Yugoslavia. Uh, Norman Whiteside 
becomes the youngest uh, player to ever play at a World Cup, 17 years of age. He's a rookie at, at Manchester. He's only signed on as a professional a month before. Uh, you have Sammy McElroy at Stoke, uh, who's you know who had a fine career at Manchester United, but now he's moving into another stage. Stoke finished 18th in Division 1. Chris Nickel, who I mentioned before, centre half at Southampton. I thought he was excellent, actually, on the night. Um, they had one player in the Scottish Premier League, who's John McClellan with Rangers. They had four players in Division 2 and 3. Now, in fairness, all of them were on teams that achieved promotion in 1981-82. So they were coming with a bit of confidence, and they had two guys playing in North America, Dave McCreary, Tulsa, and uh, Jimmy Nickel in Toronto. So, like, it's all about the unit, whereas the Yugoslavs are about little intricate you know, pods of two and three individuals doing brilliant things. But as the game goes on, and certainly you get to half time, and it's nil all. By the way, it's a of the three games, it is the poorest game by quite a distance. Um, but we get maybe we get to those comparisons in the in the papers of following day in a minute. It's interesting to see the comparisons. But like they get they get to half time, and you can see in the second half that something is happening with them all right. Whether it's the Yugoslavs, Yugoslavs definitely get tired. They're not as fit. I don't think they're as fit as Northern Ireland are, but they're just something happens with the North. They start to get a bit of a, a foothold in midfield. Norman Whiteside starts to really throw himself around. I mean, he could have been taken to jail for one. He got he, he got a yellow, yellow card. Bird. Yeah. And I mean, he kicked the guy twice. He, he just, I mean, he could have been taken to jail for it. But I mean, he really gets into it. Um, Sammy McElroy plays well. Nickel plays well. Jimmy Nickel at right back plays well. And they kind of, they they just shut the Yugoslavs down. By the end, the Yugoslavs are nearly out of ideas. Again, when you think about it from the, in the context of the Republic of Ireland a couple of years, a bunch of years later, quite similar, just wearing a team down to the point where they go, I just, we're just out of ideas and when can we get off the field? They are a team that ride their luck and, and have done through qualifying. So this game is very similar. Their first game in qualifying is away to Israel. And actually, in that game, they're struggling too. Like they can't, can't get it together. And then there's, a, I think, a floodlight failure. Mm-hmm. And they all kind of get to regroup while that's being repaired and say, right, that's what are we going to do? And they build from there. And that's how they build this defensive tenacity. But in the group itself, for qualifying, things go their way. Like Israel and Sweden are eliminated from contention very early on. Um, mm-hmm. But those those two teams gift opportunity to Northern Ireland because... They both beat Portugal in the qualifying, which effectively yeah. removes the team that you would have expected to finish second rather than Northern Ireland from contention in that group. So you can see in this game, when they survive the early battering from Yugoslavia, that they're going to grow in confidence from that. Yeah, yeah they're getting better. They get better, as the, they get better as the game goes on. Not that the game gets any better. I mean, in the middle of the second half, it, you know, there's very few Northern Ireland. I mean... Again, you know, and you, I don't want to sort of rain on the 40-year-old parade that is Northern Ireland at 82, but, like, there's not a huge amount of Northern Ireland supporters there. There's no Yugoslavs. So the, the ground, like, the ground capacity is 41,000. There's only 25,000 people there. Most of them are Spanish, and they're all chanting, España, yeah. The only thing is, I was kind of surprised. I I had the opposite feeling than you because I thought there was a lot of Northern Ireland fans. And the reason why I'm saying that is is a specific reason. My only memory of seeing Northern Ireland in the World Cup is the Spain game, as in the only, as growing up and you see the old footage of it. And in that game, obviously, there's feck all Northern Ireland fans in the crowd because Spain have bought all the tickets. So when when Northern Ireland scored, there's a few people like they've won the Eurovision or something. You know what I mean? (laughs) I grew up thinking that, well, did Northern Ireland not have fans? I had this daft idea when I 
was young. Yeah. The Republic of Ireland had fans, they didn't. So I was kind of surprised to hear all, there was probably, my guess out of the 20,000, there's probably about three and a half, four thousand Northern Ireland fans there. That's what I reckon. Yeah. And then you yeah. can hear them singing all the usual songs that are still there today. The, mm. and, and that was probably something that surprised me. They were very jovial and they kept going the whole way through the few that was there. But I see your point. Mate. There wasn't a huge the, like, the joviality thing is important in this as well because you know, obviously 1982 in Northern Ireland is in the middle of a sectarian war. And one of the things that they're hoping will you know, lift the profile of the country, change the profile of the country slightly is Northern Ireland getting to a World Cup. And uh, you know, it, it's interesting to see how the North handle things. For example, the only two hotels at this point in the tournament that are open to the media are Northern Ireland's hotel and Germany's hotel, West Germany's hotel. So the media can stay at the hotel. So there's about, they reckon, roughly, there's about 200 journalists in the hotel, right? There's studios set up in the hotel. There's communication centers for the print journalists, whatever, set up. Uh, Malcolm Brody is the, the football correspondent for the Belfast Telegraph, and He's a veteran of 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 covering Northern Ireland, um, and he he remarks. It's funny when you think about it. He says it's a far cry describing the scene. It's a far cry from the non-commercialized days of Sweden, nineteen fifty-eight. Imagine we're only talking about the commercialization really starting in eighty-two when you think about it. But there was a good vibe all around. Like there was a cake for Pat Jennings's birthday. The BBC film it. People are. It's kind of you're welcome into the parlor sort of sort of vibe around the whole thing. Brody writes that Spain is seeing a proper image of Northern Ireland through this team, which is proving there is more to life in the province than the bullet and the bomb. And that, you know... It's an amazing line in the newspaper, yeah. It is a hell of a line. It is a hell of a line. In a sports Um, article, yeah. Absolutely. And in that era in particular. But like, you know, you're right. I mean, you hear God Save the Queen being being sang by the crowd. um, and it's mainly Union Jacks, and it's it's that. But we know we know that the affection for the Northern Ireland team stretched far beyond their traditional support base down south and everything. Two days before the game, Simon and Garfunkel actually were playing at the RDS in Dublin, and they dedicated the boxer to the team, and the crowd went wild. So that'll that'll tell you. Even before they kicked the ball, the team had transcended something, and you know, um, there you can see that there's something there's something there. There's something all right. Once they get out of this game and survive. There's the capacity to me watching like the, there's the capacity for the North to go forward, but the Yugoslavs are looking going. They are going to be devastated by this result. Like, and, I mean, and, team- uh, they they come under serious pressure at home as a consequence of this result. Uh, now, you mentioned Malcolm Brody's writing in the Belfast Telegraph. There was a couple of other pieces that caught my attention in the Telegraph that weren't in the sports pages. But mm-hmm. there's one kind of little mm-hmm. sidebar: um, World Cup TV keeps husbands at home. <laughs> That piqued my interest by Chris Kelly. Ulster's housewives were left struggling with bringing shopping bags and trolleys last night while their husbands stayed at home. The alternative attraction to Thursday night shopping was live television coverage of Northern Ireland's opening World Cup game against Yugoslavia. And for many men, that was no contest. Supermarkets reported a drop in the number of men accompanying wives. I love the fact that they were studying they were, this. They were studying yeah. this. Yeah. Um, there it was not in any way. It was not in any way a chance for a supermarket to get their name on the front of the Belfast Telegraph. Yeah. You know, that's nothing to do with anything, right? There were definitely fewer men about them more than are about the store than usual. Said a Supermax spokesman. I don't remember Supermax stores, um, but but another one that caught my eye and paints a picture of the time is on the same night as the game, there's a, a Londonderry City Council meeting 
And the headline from that is footballers harassed by the army claim. Members of Londonderry City Council's Finance and General Purposes Committee uh, may seek a meeting with security chiefs in a bid to put a stop to the alleged harassment of Derrien District FA footballers travelling across the border for Sunday matches. At last night's meeting of the committee, councillors were angered by reports from the chairman of the Football Association, Mr Jim Crossan, that cars carrying members of teams had been stopped and held for up to 40 minutes by soldiers, meaning the cross-border checkpoints, manning, sorry, manning the cross-border checkpoints at Coolmore Road. Councillors agreed to instruct the town clerk, Mr Cullum Geary, to write to security chiefs. So, you know, and, it, and one of the responses that comes in this is from Councillor Gregory Campbell. Oh. He said the only reason he could think of which would make the army repeatedly stop Darien district teams was if they suspected some of the members of being involved in certain activities. You know, so that that's that's the that's the that's the backdrop. You know, yeah. the yeah. Northern Ireland team may be flying, but there's division within the footballing community. But just to show how much of a bubble they've managed to create around the team, right? Like we again, we've talked a lot about prep and about teams going away in camps and whatnot, right? Like Northern Ireland do not spare a penny, like, in terms, once they get to Spain. Five-star hotel, the whole shebang. They're training at Levant, uh, who will, in years to come, become a, a La Liga, Primera Liga team. That's that's the one in Spain as opposed to the one that Collins partialed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, but apparently the pitch is a disaster. The first day of training, they go down, grass isn't cut. And someone needs to pay the electricity bill because it hasn't been paid, so there's no power in the ground. But they managed to get over all of that. And it is very interesting because, again, it is, it is, it is laid out in minute detail. Um, their, their routine, their plan, everything. According to Brody, Bingham has undertaken a close study of the body biorhythm system, quote, and designed a routine that has to be adhered by everyone. So do you want to hear their routine when they were, when they were uh, getting ready? You'd never know what benefit we'd get out of this in our middle age. Exactly. And yes, all sports coaches take note from 40 years ago. So day starts, early doors, lads, up you get. Light session at Levant, cross the road, go down, bit of stretching, bit of kicking around. Right? Light Man. session, I'll go for that. Yep. All my, all my sessions. Before it gets too hot though, because you remember, it is boiling. On the night, I think it was like 90 degrees Fahrenheit or something, you know, it was another roasting night. So to avoid that stuff during the day, exercises in the hotel, players split into two groups. Then, our, all our favourite part of the day, siesta. It seems like the siesta seems to go on a long time, right? Because let's say if the exercise at the hotel are mid-morning, a bite to eat, siesta, then they have another meal at half five, and then it's off to Levant again at eight o'clock in the evening for a session. It, why eight o'clock? Because that's the kickoff time roughly for their games. So they're acclimatizing. Other rules, plenty of fruit juices. This I have to say, actually, I have to say, actually, these rules now that are that that, that I'm going to mention that are applied to the Northern Ireland football team while they're there. I'll be honest, it sounds a little bit like rules before you go into an orgy. Other rules, plenty right. of fruit juices. I see it going there, okay. Okay. Plenty of fruit juices, wear as little as possible, and take a mix of salt and glucose before any game stroke encounter. So, um, you know. Like, you definitely want to spend a weekend with you, Mick. <laughs> it's a hell of a scene, let me tell you. Back to glucose. Um, on top of that, right, and I, I don't mean to labour the point, but i got, I got to get these out there. 
right? So Dr. Jack Bammer is the team doctor. What a great name, by the way, Dr. Jack Bammer. He was the Northern Ireland team doctor, bless him. How did he yeah. not bring out a Bammer Bam product afterwards? <laughs> Bammer Bam. Um, he had more rules, right? So here are the rules, right? Number one, lads, eat food that you're used to. Fair enough. Two, avoid tapas. It's oily. Three, wash all fruit. Do not eat fruit till peeled. Four, drink lots of still water. Not fizzy. Back off from the Schweppes. Five, double your salt intake. That'll be good for the orgy. Six, take two or three hours after a heavy meal before training, etc. Right? What's the etc? That's carrying a hell of a weight. Seven, avoid alcohol, especially around midday. Wise words. Eight, no uncooked food. For example, salad, ice cream or uncooked fruit. So you're good with the stewed apple. Right. But don't be going near any real ones. Right. And number so if nine. You're having ice cream, it's got to be baked Alaska. That's basically what <laughs> At least 45 minutes in the oven for that ice cream. And number nine, the last one, bottled water only for brushing teeth. Don't use this is uh, I this is solid. It's, yeah. It? Like I know you know, you think of Eamon Coughlin and the pseudo cream episode, like whatever his when he shaved his legs before the world championship what? and uh, you know the, with the, listen, different stories. But but point is though it's, Olympics it's, it's, like, one day at a time. Well it, well it is kind of the whole don't do it like eat foods you know. Like this is this is the sort of stuff you could spin into like a 400 page Absolutely. opus of leadership There's nine in chapters 2022 right there. Nine chapters. there is there is where he's we've got bits to do so we're we're almost done Kira. i have a little sidebar yeah um before so we do the, team of the week or after uh well we'll do team of the week shortly but just on um, safford susich billy joe's oh, favorite oh, yeah. player wasn't he lovely um, to watch he wasn't he great yeah. Was an Italian and, and, and apparently he was on his way to an Italian club, uh, but he he was barred from moving to Serie A because really? apparently Safat Susic, the Yugoslav World Cup striker, is in trouble with the Italian FA after assuring each club that he was entirely a free agent with no commitments. He signed first for Inter and then for Torino. Now <laughs> he's been barred from joining any Italian club next season. How was he ever going to make that work? Oh, Susic, oh, Susic, you rogue. You rascal, mm. you <laughs> slavic rapscallion, you. Team of the day, team of the day, team of the day. Team of the day. Only Mick is taking this seriously. He's the only one popping into the Thank WhatsApp you. group with a team. Thank Mick, I, I like. Thank you. Well done. So, so your team just people... formed the team. Thank you. I, I, I'm just trying to get people thinking, but they don't seem to be thinking. They don't. All right. I, I, throw, I don't know. throw it out there and, and oh, so you know, like, we'll do what we normally like, do. We'll, either, we'll yeah. either agree or eliminate. This is our starting default team. Uh, and oh, now I got the new pronunciations here. Concilia. Concilia. Is it Concilia? Yeah, it is the, the Austrian goalkeeper. Made some great saves. He did. Fully agree. Brilliant. And Pat, Pat Jennings. Pat Jennings, Pat Jennings, Pat Jennings, Pat Jennings, Pat Jennings yeah. would have been my goalkeeper. So that's my oh, first he, he would have been my two carols. Oh, Pat so Jennings. In there. Sorry, Mick, you lost. Okay. Um, the, the, I went to the trouble of picking a team and they get to pick it then. I well, it's a committee. No, we have a veto. This reminds me of a, a horse designed by a committee as a camel. Which brings us back, of course, to Kuwaitis. Do you know, by the way, before we go any further, that the Kuwaitis, uh, you may laugh, but you'll be glad when you know this, the Kuwaitis had a camel mascot at every game. Wow. They brought him in, they brought him in from Morocco, as you would, because like it's only a tiny little bit on the map. Sure, Look, it's tiny. It's not even yeah. the size of your thumb to go across. They brought the camel over and they paraded him before every game. So now, there we go. No, that's the paper. Maybe statement. we should have a mascot of the day. And maybe we put the camel on the team of the day. 
Uh, it's been a better day than that yet now, isn't it? Park the camel, as they say in the uh, in those days. Jimmy Nickel or and Chris Nickel. You mentioned them both with, with First green enthusiasm. Yeah, I thought, they, I, I thought Chris Nickel was very, very good, and Jimmy Nickel was good at right back. It's any anybody else from the other games? No, I wouldn't disagree with those. No, happy, happy. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, we got uh, oh, two Kuwaitis in there, Majouf and Al Yazin. Well, they deserve it. They battle well. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to defer to the boys on this one. Considering, considering no, I, I wouldn't dispute that either. I thought they were solid. Yeah, yeah okay, we can. I, I did think Yurkamik uh, was good for Czechoslovakia, but I'm not going to fight to get him in there. Sorry. Uh, Yanis is in there. That's fine by me. Once he's in there, Susic has to be in there. So yeah. uh, there are two that I don't think anyone's going to disagree with. Uh, who else have you got in there? Pro, Pro Hasek. Ah. Prohaska, Prohaska from Austria. He, he sat in the middle. He was a guy who, he, so the, the Austrians kind of moved people around a lot in that team, but he sat in the middle all day and just passed the ball around. I'd say he scarcely gave it away. So he was just solid. But again, I would yield to the, I would yield to any Kuwaitis who, uh, who, who well, tore I, I it up. For the yes. Kuwaiti Zico to appear in this, but. Oh, I, yeah. oh he's, he's coming up. He's there. Yeah. He's there. Well, Shackner's up front as well. I mean, if Shackner wasn't, they would, Shackner and Yannis were the two I said had to be on it, and they're there. So I'm kind of happy enough yeah. with that. Uh, you've gone for v- Vujovic from. Vujovic. Sorry, guys. Let me down there. I'm sorry to have to leave out Norman Whiteside, who was described by our friend Malcolm Brody, the great Malcolm Brody, who said it was. Quote, certainly nobody in post-war Irish football has ever made a debut of such elegance, class and impact. That was Malcolm Brody on Norman Whiteside's performance against Yugoslavia. I do not want to beat down on Norman Whiteside because he did some great things in that game. But I'm not sure elegance and class entirely come into it. And even off the top of my head, I can think of about three other Irish players who had debuts that were more impactful and classier probably than his. Uh, Liam Brady against the USSR in 74 comes to mind. John Giles against Sweden in 1959. When Sweden were serious, Ireland went two down and Giles inspired him to win 3-2. He actually scored the fourth goal in the comeback. And George Best, if if, if yes. he's specifically speaking about Northern Ireland International, yeah. George Best's uh, debut against Wales, apparently, um, was impressive. Now, Best, just as a sidebar, before we move on. We'd have to talk about There was some speculation about him playing in this World Cup. Yes, and there was. Martin O'Neill was asked about this in advance of the World Cup, and this was his response. So there has been talk of George Best being called up to the Irish squad. Could it still happen, and would the players want him? I believe that if George had really felt that he was up to it, he would have joined Middlesbrough instead of going back to America. I think that deep down, he didn't believe he was up to it. If things change, say he came back to England and did well, we would be pleased to have him. We haven't got that many top-class players that we can turn someone like him down. They had a look at him. They did have a look at him. Billy Bingham did have a look. Uh, he was playing with the San Jose Earthquakes at the time. Who How by old was he at this own, point? He was 35. Hmm. Um, and by Beth's own admission, the San Jose Earthquakes were rubbish, right? But they played a friendly game against Hibernian in the winter of 81. Best turned out for Hibs. So Billy Bingham went to have a look at him. Uh, Best was really poor, just didn't didn't perform, and that pretty much did for him. Um, Best spoke about it some, some years later, two thousand and one. He said that he was okay. He was playing on a rubbish team, but he was <laughs> he said I was playing racquetball for three hours a day. Apparently, so uh, he was you know bit out. Uh, he said, "Quote in two thousand and one, he said I wouldn't have expected to play every game, but I wish he Bingham had just taken me as a member of the squad and thrown me in for fifteen minutes." 
only so I could have played in a World Cup. Yeah. But I think we've established at this point that that is not Billy Bingham's no. mindset or mentality. There is no sort of, there's no handy spots here. Like, and we're not, and even if there was, he's more like, he's, he's just not going to bring George Best unless George Best is playing really, really well. Yeah, you don't see George Best dropping into those two banks of defenders, do you? No. no. You could hear Biddy Bingham roaring during the game too. I'm looking forward to some more of that in some of the other games. <laughs> apparently, apparently he started picking at the tops of grass in front of him with 20 minutes to go. Just picking at the bit of grass in front of him. And by the end of the game, there was like a little 12 inch, a one foot square. By the end of the game, match. the stadium was a bullring. <laughs> uh, all right get on before, before we go before we go right yeah. because i did notice with the the kickoff times for the these matches you could have squeezed in and it was an institution at the time in the uk and ireland you could have squeezed in top of the pops because this was a thursday night and this was the first charts of this world cup so i just thought it would be good fun to maybe test a little bit of the musical knowledge. Um, you know, mm-hmm. now, uh, one thing I will I'm say doing a podcast is, about a World Cup from 40 years ago. I do not have musical knowledge. I need to put that out there. I mean, I there's know, only so much room. Well, I, I'll, I'll be honest now. I bought my first album in 1981. So we're in. Well, I'm hopeful. You were. I'm hopeful. You were like the extreme early adopter. Um <laughs> Right, well... Uh, Adam and the ants, lads. Adam and the ants. Well, what I will say is um, none of the three World Cup songs made Top of the Pops this week. Didn't didn't have the stay in power, no? Didn't have the stay in power, but um, the live acts, live, if you can call them that, on Top of the Pops that week were Duran Duran mm-hmm. and Echo on the Bunny Man. Ooh, um, I actually know that one. So, for a, for the first point, what song do you think Duran Duran were performing? Oh, I would say uh, Hungry Like a Wolf. Lights oh, on the money and it came in at oh, least in that week's top 10. Hungry Like the Wolf. Um, this is a good time for music. The Now, down to 13 that week in the charts was a song called Only You. Point for the performers. Oh, I got it. Oh, actually, yes, I have it. Anyone else want to have a go? Mm, uh, I know I can hear Only You at the song in my head. Most recently well, used in only a all commercial by Coca-Cola. I'm hearing the 1960s song, man. Was it Yazoo? Yes, it was indeed. Oh, yeah, and only You. Only you, so Yazoo had it like electro. That was nearly their first hit, I'd say. I'd say it was, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wish you had vision for this one. We've just got classic Staldorf there, so we did classic Staldorf. Dropping um, to number only you was six this week was a track called The Number of the Beast. Name the band. Oh, it's got to be, well, I'm going to say Iron Maiden. Yep. No. Just make Man City Foley. This is just like a horse. It's just like runaway. It's my age. This is this is. I'm what am I seven or eight at this point? And uh, a new entry that week was at twenty five by the Beatles. What track do you think the Beatles had released in nineteen eighty two? 
1982. Just confusing. Yeah, broken up how many years I mean, by then. Yeah. Let's see, 20th anniversary, Love Me Do? It was the Beatles movie Medley. Back in the day when a medley could crack the charts. Was that, well, that wasn't the Bee Gees film, was it? The, the Bee Gees made a film of Sarah, like Sarah, it's awful. Of, of like Sarah and Pepper and all this stuff. No, I don't know. I'm away off. And I'm, I'm going to go straight to the top this. 10 now and I'm just going to go for it. Finish out on uh, Diana Ross was at number 10 with what song? Mm-hmm. And it's very 1982. It is. Um, no, I'm I'm absenting myself from this one. Work that I, body. Oof. Ah, let's see. At number nine, the highest new entry was by Gary Newman. Um, it was the one before Cars. Um, I can hear it in my head. Our friend, our friends, electric was it or something? Like we that? take a mystery. Oh, right. Okay, I'm way off. At number <laughs> seven, we had Kid just, Creole just listeners and know, Like, Rob and I have not muted our mics. We're, we're, just... <laughs> we're here. Sorry. Hi. Sorry. Sorry. Do you want us to breathe heavily so you know we're There's here? Nothing yeah. There's nothing oh. worse than a hogger at a table. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I'm like those people that watch on afternoon quiz shows where, like, maybe they're just slow on the buzzer. Yeah. Very <laughs> sorry, boys. No, no. Sorry, sorry. No, it's bad form. That's what I am. That's what I am. I'm slow on the buzzer. Sorry, sorry. At number seven, Kid Creole and the Coconuts with what song? Ah, stop. I never heard. <laughs> Biting my tongue here. Are, are, are Roxy Music in here by any chance? That's all. I'm, that, that's Actually, one bad. Actually, Roxy Music are in the charts that week. Ooh. Nice. Ooh. Okay, yeah. Well, if someone gets this ahead of me, I can, you're disappointed. I can actually sing this one. Oh, please. Stool Pigeon. Oh, my God. Please tell me that's right or else we're in a... <laughs> Is, is that the words to wonderful thing if it is <laughs> <laughs> do you know I've got as many wrong as I've got right it's, it's, it's the pigeon the wonderful thing is that okay we're going to move into some familiar like, when you're getting the actual band right and the song wrong you know there's like a, le- a level of like at number five who had house of fun madness no yes at number four, the look of love. The look of love. You might have the wrong one. No, the wrong one. I'd say the look of love. Is that that's the one? one? Okay. Yeah. It's the look. It's the look. God, I didn't believe that was eighty-two. That was later. In excess, uh, no. no. No, it's it's. Uh, Think of your alphabet. Oh, ABC. Oh, Rob's chasing up the the charges. At number two, Soft Cell. What was the song? Oh, it's Tainted Love, was it? Nope. No. Um, you mean they had another? They sure did. I don't think anyone's going to get this one. Torch. Mm. And at number one for the second week in a row. Is this, mm. is this a bonus point? Is this Roxy Music, is it? No. The oh, song is Goody. You're hanging for Roxy Music. Avalon or someone. That Say that again, Karen. The song is Goody Two Shoes. Oh, it's um, Adamant. Adamant. Nice work. So let's chat up the scores. I don't know who won there. It's very hard to tell. Colin was it won. I think I came in with the top three finish. That probably finished there, Rob. Yeah. All right, I got loads of those wrong. I'd say Rob. I'd say Rob. Your house of fun might have, t- might have got you. Well, if we were playing some sort of quiz where you lose points that you have if you get it wrong, I could have gone then, to yeah, the top two. Yeah. Negative marking? <laughs> did they call it that? Anyways, enough of that. We're out of here. What about the next goal wins? 
Oh yeah, go for it. Who was at number fourteen? Oh, Roxy Music. <laughs> with I want say that again. Who was at number fourteen with I want candy? Actually, oh, I'm having a clue. Uh, no, I can't remember. <laughs> the answer is bow wow wow, and on that, I think we should. Oh, yeah. Colin, the winner. <laughs> Brazil are back tomorrow. Uh, Billy, oh, Kevin Corcoran's back because they're playing Scotland. I'm sure that's going to go really well for Scotland. Argentina's coach uh, was saying Cesar Minotti was putting. Diego Maradona, up front, the boy has told me he's going to play beautifully. That's the quote. That is the actual quote of the day. Also, Argentine midfielder of the RGLAs confirmed last night. I want to play for Paris Saint-Germain next season. I certainly won't be with Spurs <sighs> after what happened in the Falklands. Full stop. Nice. These press conferences were pretty amazing in those days. That's it from us today. Argentina-Hungary is one of the other oh, games. What about Italy-Peru, Rob? Italy-Peru. We'll put you on that one, Kieran. Well, I just swapped lives with Colin Sheridan. I'm not going to let him do it every day, too. We'll do it the next day.